This podcast is made on the lands of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. You're listening to Shifting Subjects, stories from Asian Australian life. I'm Lisa Davisi. You won't believe how long this story has been in the works. It was 2020, we were in lockdown, and my friend Alan Whedon and I decided that we would make a podcast about Asian Australian life together. Alan's half Filipino. We were brainstorming, thinking of people we'd like to interview, people whose work prompted interesting conversations. And that's when Alan suggested we look at the work of one of his friends, the artist, Angie Pai. I'm a joke to you. Like, I feel like I am literally a joke. I was doing journalism at RMIT. She was doing advertising at RMIT from memory and um, we were in this build, the comms building, Building 9, which is this kind of beautiful art deco pile uh, which stretches the length of kind of a city block. Building 9 was an exciting place to be if you were into making things and collaborating with new, like-minded people. It's where so many disciplines intersected. There were people studying graphic design, advertising, fashion, music industry... And together they'd organise events or begin independent publications, things like that. And I was just like, fuck, like, these people are amazing. I want to get to know them. And that's how Alan met Angie. Angie Pye may have been studying advertising at the time, but she was also taking her first steps as a multidisciplinary artist. This was around 2014, 2015. I didn't know either of them at the time, but I remember seeing photos on Tumblr of a new clothing label called Pye. It was a collaboration between Angie and her friend, Adrian Bresanuti. The most memorable pieces for me were these black long-sleeved t-shirts that had large, white, hand-embroidered cubist-looking designs on them, all bumpy and ridgy, and some of them even looked like coral reef. It was beautiful. Bands on the cusp of widespread popularity started wearing them at gigs, organised, of course, by music industry students at Building 9. It was a time of newfound independence, Many of the students were living out of home for the first time and venturing out into the world. We were all, you know, breaking out of our shells, you know. We were fashioning the young adult identities we wanted to sort of step into as a reaction to what we had come from. And I think what was interesting with Angie, my impression of her at the time, is that the idea to disavow and break from the context that you grew up in was never, ever on the cards for Angie. And you can see that through her work. There is a profound respect for her parents, the context that she sort of has come from, but also, um, you know, youth and celebrating youth doesn't have to be this break with the family unit, if that makes sense. Angie began an Instagram account called Mama Pie. It featured candid videos of her mum, Shuling Huang, going about her everyday life. Sometimes it was Shuling laughing whilst watching TV or dancing with Angie in the lounge room or screaming in surprise at Angie's newly dyed green hair. For all its facetiousness, it was crystal clear that Xu Ling was looked upon by Angie with love and inspiration. Xu Ling, in many ways, is Angie's muse. This episode began when Alan and I were looking at a particular work of Angie's, a short film she made in 2019 called Listen to Mama. It was part of an exhibition by the same name, which Alan was lucky enough to attend. 
Listen to Mama is a kind of diaristic collage composed of scenes from places in Angie's childhood in Taiwan. They're overlaid with sound recordings of Shuling, deep and intimate, private conversation with Angie. We wanted to do a peek behind the curtain at how Listen to Mama came about and the events leading up to it. And so here it is, plus a little more. It's a conversation with Angie interspersed with moments from the film Listen to Mama. And you'll hear a bit more from Alan, as well as some extra recordings that Angie and Shuling were kind enough to make together and share with us. My mum has always been this person that gave me permission to be foolish and to be childish and to be jovial. Did you always know that you wanted to be a mum? No. When I had the first baby, it's a very strange feeling when you're breathing him. Breathing the baby. Feeding. Feeding the baby. (laughs) Breathing the baby. Okay, yes. Oh, I'm very struggle. And uh, he too. <laughs> How to put the nipple into the mouth. Oh my God. Really struggle. <laughs> okay. Growing up, I sought a lot of comfort in that because um, whenever I feel external pressures to be more sophisticated or to be more refined or to be more, you know, this or that, she's very validating in the sense that she'll say, you know, fuck that. You, you do you. Don't give other people um, too much power in determining how you should be. Something that she tells me is like in, in Eastern Doctrine and in Confucianism, there are like eight virtues that one should pursue. But the, the cheat is if you pursue one completely, you pursue all eight at the same time because they're so interconnected. And so she's always said you don't need to do all eight at once. Just choose one and dedicate your life to it. And for her, that was filial piety. Filial piety is a virtue in Taoist philosophy and Chinese Buddhist ethics, as well as a Confucian organising principle. It emphasises the moral duty of children to care for, respect and obey their parents and the elderly. It's about giving back and wanting to give back. It has to be sincere. It's a gesture rather than a transaction. And so she says, and listen to Mama, she says, If you pursue a saying for life, you will acquire all of its wisdom for life. For example, the most basic one says, of the virtues, filial piety should come first. Just a few words, the most important thing in this life. If you struggle being filial, you'll have a hard time with all the other virtues. Angie's family have practiced Taoism for generations. On top of wanting to give Angie and her siblings more opportunities, they also wanted to spread the wisdom of Taoist philosophy. And that became a large part of the decision to move to Australia. My dad grew up in more of a metropolitan city and my mum grew up in more of countryside Taiwan and so my grandparents weren't formally educated. And so when my mum went to my grandma and said, you know, we're moving overseas to Australia, she just, from a very innocent perspective, thought um, that someone must have 
cast a spell on her or that we were being scammed or that she must have taken some dark magic potion. Shuling came to the conclusion that her mother would never understand or cope with her decision to move overseas. So she lied and told Angie's grandma that she had changed her mind and would remain in Taiwan. So for the, for the first maybe five years that we were in Australia, mom would always just pretend that she was still in Taiwan. My aunties would call my mom and be like, Mom's looking for you to say that you went to the crisis. And so she never, she never knew that we came to Australia, which is so crazy. So when her mother eventually passed, it hit Shuling hard. I remember her crying so hard because she had this vision of my grandma finding out, you know, they, they, they believe that once you pass, um, you see the truth of everything. And she was like imagining that her mom's spirit was then with her in Melbourne and she would like apologise to her profusely and be like, I'm so sorry. Shuling resolved to be there for her dad in his old age. Her objective was to stay in Australia up until my little brother went to university. When that finally happened, she was so excited because it meant she could go back and be with her dad. And it just so happens that when she finally had time to be with him, he didn't have time to be around for her because he passed shortly after. So this is her recounting when both my grandparents passed, she said. This year, your papa's papa passed and my own papa passed. I was so miserable. And from this perspective, I genuinely regretted coming to Australia. I remember hearing in on a conversation she had with my older brother because my my brother said, If you could do things again, would you choose your parents or would you choose your children? And she said... She thinks about this a lot, and there's been times where she really questioned whether she made the right decision. <laughs> um, after immigrated uh, two or three years, I just thinking, oh, if that mean choice again, kidding me, I won't come here. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're gonna stay in Taiwan. <laughs> yeah, I would prefer to stay in uh the original place. I stay. Yeah. Really, that's you. You said the different thing last year when I asked you the same question. You said you would not change anything. No, that's well after two or three years. So after five years, I think I I I review it. I won't regret it. Yeah. My my children have a more bigger bigger sky to fly. Although for for parents uh, many things struggle like language or new environment. But it's really good for for my children, so I won't regret it. 
she still stands by her initial decision, which is to choose the children and to give them the world that she never had. And that weighs really hard on me. Here's Alan again. As children of migrants, um, there's this intense battle between agency and the expectations that um, our parents have for us in our lives. And also, we can't separate ourselves from the promise of migration. That is, you know, I'm going to go to all this expense, all this effort, uproot myself, cut myself away from friends and family in the promise of a better life, both for myself and my children. Um, And whether we like it or not, we're sort of dragged into that, that expectation. After graduating from uni, Angie seized upon a last-minute opportunity to move to the US. When you want to go America, I think, oh my God, my baby bird will fly away so far away from me. But I had to control myself <laughs> because uh, maybe that will have another another paradise or another place for you, good for you. The only things I can do just make God bless you, safe and peaceful. While in the US, Angie was offered a dream job, working with a creative director she had long admired. And I called my dad because I really, really wanted to tell him. And my mum picked up the phone to my shock because my dad was in Taiwan at the time and my mum should have been in Melbourne. When mum picked up, I was like, oh, what the hell? Hi, mum. And she was like, hey. And she was re- I could tell that she was like being really short and I couldn't really tell why that was happening. And I was like, oh, where's dad? She was just like, oh, he's... He's gone to pee. And I was like, okay, well, I'd like to speak to him. Um, Can you let me know when he gets back? And she was like, yep, I'll get him to call you back. And I was like, oh, no, no, I'll just stay on the phone. And she was like, oh, he might poo too. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's okay. Like, I'm sure you can't take that long. Um, (laughs) And she was like, no, you can't stay on the phone. I'll get him to call you back. And I was like, why? And she just started bawling her eyes out and that's when I knew something was up and I was like what the heck is going on mom like tell me right now she said your dad's on the operating table he's getting his kidney removed because he has a massive tumor in his kidney and I flew back last night I came straight from the hospital (sighs) yep I'm sorry that this is how you found out instead of taking the job Angie flew to Taiwan to be with her family. All of these things, her mum's grief, her dad's health, her parents' sacrifices, Angie's own sense of filial piety and duty, her own ambitions, all of these things were front of mind as Angie began making her film. I was in Manila with James, my dear friend James Robinson, who also helped me produce this film, and he said, you should... Think of a way to document this. James kind of gave me some very preliminary advice on how to go about it, but he was like, don't think too much about how you'll capture it. Just take your camera and film whatever it is you want. And it was a project that I worked on for maybe the like duration of a year, and I ended up going back to redo certain parts. I think in that way, it's 
have been my favorite work to date because I didn't sit down and go, I want to make a film. It just happened. And it happened in a medium that I would have never thought to employ. And the end result is something that I would not want to change, even though it is so amateur. <laughs> but it's like it's like a diary entry in every sense of, you know, that it's something that I say that I'll cherish in this life and all others to come because it just articulates so much of what my family is in this concentrated form. Fast forward to the film's opening, which Alan attended. I remember the night, the opening night for Listen to Mama, and that was at Metro Gallery um, in a in an eastern suburb of Melbourne called Armadale. So Armadale, ritzy, typically white suburb. Um, you know, you get run over by a Porsche four-wheel drive if you don't fucking, you know, look properly. Um, and then, you know, he was a whole bunch of people that, you know, we all sort of came through the RMIT sort of graduating generation. We're all, you know, from different parts of Melbourne, different parts of the country, different, you know, socioeconomic statuses that we, you know, were raised in. But he was this kind of, you know, patchwork quilt of a whole bunch of diasporic identities coming together into a space that, you know, if I was had no context about that gallery, no context about Angie, I would perceive as, you know, quite elite and not for us. That was my first visceral memory going in of going, oh, actually, this is, Angie has created this space for us and this is wonderful. Around 100 people filled the narrow gallery. The crowd formed a semicircle around a large screen. We, like, pulled up a chair and the whole, like, oh, it was so sweet, the whole audience, like, clapped for them. And then the video plays. And then I think my memory of the opening scenes were colour. It was like this muted blue-grey morning, if that makes sense. So, like, an overcast sky, but things almost kind of look like this, like it's bathed in this teal, if that makes sense. And it was like, from memory, there were like a car ride or a train ride where you saw sort of the Taiwanese sort of countryside whooshing past you. And then, you know, in time, there were, um, I guess there was tape of Mama Pai um, almost speaking in, it wasn't necessarily like a, hey Angie, how are you going? It was, it was Angie had clearly like gone into the tape and found almost these, um, what's the word? It was kind of like almost like a manifesto. Three quarters of the way through that film, there's this melancholy. And, you know, by this stage, everyone's like bawling their eyes out and, every, you know, you can hear the of, of like the room as it's echoing through this like cavernous gallery space. That sort of melancholy towards the end is, I guess, perhaps a self-awareness within Angie's mum that through the process of migration, the process of Angie growing up as, you know, an Australian kid, there will be sort of a gulf that emerges between the two of them in some way that she might not even be able to comprehend, that Angie might not be able to comprehend. Nothing, you know, nothing intentional, but there's there's um, a void that opens in the process of migration and becoming someone else, if that makes sense. Um, I made this entire film also in secret. Like, I had a Super 8 camera that was clicking away and they just thought I was playing with some gadget. Um, and the first time they heard of this was at the premiere. 
Yeah, the last shot. So my parents took me and my brothers to like a spa and there's this like water area and they were splashing about and they were, mom and dad were just having so much fun to just splashing each other being kids. But obviously they're like in their bathing suits, which look like their underwear. And for two people who are very conservative, obviously they don't like the idea of other people seeing them so exposed and so vulnerable. Um and dad was really embarrassed, but he was also, you know, really touched by that sentiment. Mom and I joke about being rebel monks, how we, you know, are like on the cusp of within the goody goodies, we're like the most rebellious. And then within the rebellious group, we're like the goody goodies. And I knew on some level that I would have their support. And I knew that they would understand that it came from a sincere place. And so, because of that mutual understanding that we would never have any malicious intent towards each other, even if you show that in different ways. Like, I knew that they would be okay. And also, like, I wasn't divulging any deep, dark family secrets. It was just me showing them that I really value their sacrifices and they look cute in swimwear. (laughs) I just wanted to celebrate them for all the, you know trials and tribulations and the hardships um, that they don't even think that are worth celebrating. And it was also an attempt to get my dad to slow down. Like, we'd been trying to get my dad to slow down and to stop working so hard, and that's why it was called Listen to Mama. And as I mentioned, Alan and I were working on this story together. That couldn't eventuate. I don't know if you wanted to talk about why. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's very on brand (laughs) for Angie's subject matter, really. Yeah, so uh, we were supposed to work together and that was all in train. But then, you know, 2021 clicked over into 2022 and 2022 was the year that I lost my mother. Um, And, of course, you know, I've talked about throughout this conversation being able to read out over our own histories and our own autobiography through um, Angie's work obviously that has a particular resonance with me because even throughout the different contours of Angie's career and Angie's art practice, I have been reading over my relationship to my mother and our, I guess our relationship through Angie's work. And that was always something um, difficult for me in the sense that, you know, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 15 um, and, you know, as I sort of emerged into young adulthood, mum was always sick. She was always sick up until 2022. And I think maybe in, in maybe a subconscious way, I was enamoured with the joy that was clearly present in Angie's ability to broadcast her relationship with her mother to the world and also share mum of a pie to the world, right? It was It's a generous act. Um, and in a way, I could never do that because mum was always sick. She never could meet my friends. She could never meet, you know, the young adulthood that I had carved out for myself up until that point. Um, so, yeah, and that's that's sort of why ultimately we could, I couldn't join you as co-host is because I, you know, had to care for my mother and then eventually deal with the wallop of grief that I'm probably still in. Well, this is supposed to be five minutes and it is now 20. So let's leave it there. But um, do you want to say hello, Alan? Hello, Lisa? Hello, Alan. Hello, Lisa. 
Did you enjoy this conversation? It's a very, very nice conversation. Yeah, you can review from twenty years ago. Oh my god, you're gonna more. you're gonna do that thing where like every time we talk, you're like, "This will be so nice for you when I die." <laughs> yes, yes. I hate when you do this. Yes, that's why I, I always cooperate with you. Why? Because- I mean, no money to earn. Why? why I need to keep so busy? Shifting Subjects is a liminal podcast and a proud member of the Broadwave Podcast Network. It was written, cut, and hosted by me, Lisa DeVissi. Our supervising producer is John Chia. He also sound designed and mixed the show. It was fact-checked by Mel Chun. Our theme music is by Marcus Whale. Additional music by Anso, including original compositions. Listen to their music on all streaming platforms. Our publisher is Leah Jing McIntosh. Executive producer is Lisa DeVissi. Special thanks this episode to Angie Pai, Shuling Huang, Alan Whedon, Leah Jing McIntosh, and Panda Wong. Thanks also to the City of Melbourne Arts Grants. If you like this podcast, tell your friends about it. And if you're in Melbourne, head along to Angie's new exhibition. It's called Why You Like This, and it runs until the 21st of May. I've put details in the show notes. I'm Lisa DeVissi. See you next time.